It's a delight and joy to be here on the Lord's Day to greet so many with smiles on your faces, with joy in your heart, glad that you're assembled together to give God the glory and the praise that is due to Him. I do want to encourage you to be here tonight. We're going to be blessed again by having the young men direct us in our worship. They always do a great job, and I want to encourage you to encourage them. You never know which one of these young men may decide that they want to be a preacher of the gospel. And I encourage you to uplift them, encourage them, and stand behind them. This morning, I'd like for you to keep your Bibles open there to the book of Philippians. And this morning's lesson I have entitled, Prayer for Partners. Let me begin by pointing out to you that Paul's work with the Philippians began down by the riverside. He went into this beautiful little town, maybe not so little, this colony city, if you will. There was not a Jewish synagogue, and so he went outside the city to the riverside where prayer was made. He developed a special bond with the church at Philippi. It appears, as if you study the New Testament, that they had a special place in the heart of the Apostle Paul. As you go a little bit further, you notice that the opening verses of this short letter, he expresses appreciation for them, and he tells us why. They are special to him, and they have some very important reasons. And in verses 3 through 8, we're going to explore this bond. And so we're going to look at four things this morning, and I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we look in verse 3 at Paul's remembrance of them, and then the request that he makes for them in verse 4, the relationship they enjoy in verses 5 and 6, and then the resolve that he has to do God's will in verses 7 and 8. Let's begin by looking at verse 3. Very simply, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Every remembrance of you. It's not just as if Paul would have a passing thought and some of them good and some of them bad, but he says every remembrance of you. And when you think of that, what did Paul remember about them? Well, I'd suggest to you, if you think about it, he probably remembered very vividly how it all began. How he went down to the riverside and met this sweet lady named Lydia from Thyatira and the women who met there. Acts 16, verses 14 and 15 says that she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, one who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have come to judge me or have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. Paul likely remembered going into her house and spending some time there. I can tell you that as I look back at some of the work that I was able to do, at the congregation before I moved here. 
one of the couple's houses that I went to visit was Brother Arch and Sister Edwina Lyle. They were the ones who donated the land for the camp, which became Lylewood Christian Camp. They were a childless, elderly couple, but they were some of the sweetest people in this world. When you went to their house, they made you feel welcome. That's exactly what you have here with the Apostle Paul remembering them. I'm sure also that he remembered the jailer, how kindly he treated him. You see, the, the civil authorities had commanded Paul to be beaten. And when you have the conversion of the jailer in verses 33 and 34, and it says he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all of his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. You think about Paul having been beaten and the jailer taking him to his own house, putting his own food before Paul and taking care of his needs. I'm sure that Paul would remember that fondly. Do you see, he has very pleasant memories of this congregation. And if I were to ask you, think back to when you came to this congregation. Think back to some of the people who have had impact on your life and where you are today. I can tell you there's some people when I came here that made a tremendous impact on me. One of the dear beloved brothers is already gone now. Uh, I thought about in preparing this lesson about who it was that uh, made some great impacts. And I can remember Brother Stanley McEnery. And I dare say that most of you remember him very vividly. I can hear him walking into the building, singing, making a, a joyful noise, sticking his head around the door and throwing a Canadian apple at me and expecting me to catch it. You see, there are people who have had impact on your life. Paul, with the church at Philippi, had every remembrance of them was good. Now, I think it's important to ask the question, how will I be remembered? How will you be remembered? Will people be able to look back and think about their association with us and will it be good? Will it be something that people can be thankful for or will they remember us as the old grouch? Will they remember us as the person who was always trying to obstruct things, hurt things, damage things? Listen as Paul writes the Thessalonians. Now, that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you have always a good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we to see you. We ought to be the kind of people that folks would want to come. They want to come to our homes. They want to come and to worship with us. I believe the church at Philippi was one that when Paul remembered, he remembered well. Now the second thing is found in verse 4. And Paul says, Always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy. 
Let's keep, first of all, on that phrase, always in every prayer. Always in every prayer. Making requests for you all. You think about the requests that you make in your prayers. I'm going to take you just through a little brief journey through some of the epistles. Paul prayed for his brethren everywhere. In Romans 1 and verse 9, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Notice those phrases, always in my prayers. The church at Rome was one of those, as Paul would get down on his knees and offer a prayer to God, would say, God bless that church in Rome. Always. You go to the book of Ephesians 1 and verse 16. And I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So now we know he mentions Rome and he mentions Ephesus. In Colossians 1 and verse 3, we give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Rome, Ephesus, Colossae, 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Rome, Ephesus, Colossae, Thessalonica, When he writes to individuals like Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Philemon verse 4, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. Do you know what you start noticing as you read all of these passages? Paul prayed daily for all these churches. He prayed for all these individuals. Some people say, when I pray, what should I pray for? You know, in our public prayers here, we're leading the whole congregation. And it wouldn't be expedient to mention every particular thing that's on our minds Because when public prayers were led, you know Jesus spoke about them. He says they think they will be heard for their much speaking. But when it comes to our personal prayers, we ought to thank God for the leadership we have. We ought to thank God for the elders and be able to call them by name. We ought to be thankful for those people who teach our young people in their classes. We ought to be thankful for those dear sisters in Christ who when someone is sick are able to make a plate of food and exhibit their care and their compassion. You see, with the remembrance, Paul has also got this request to God, God bless these people. But then you notice he says, with joy. Now, I have tried in studying each of these passages is really to try to break the phrases down and see the indication. Do you find it easy to pray for people? 
It's no problem to request good things for them. You know, you, you see a good brother or good sister in Christ and you know they're going through some difficulties in their life. You know they're, for instance, maybe struggling with health problems. And you say, Heavenly Father, will you bless sister so-and-so with her sickness? And you're glad to do so because you know they are deserving of God's blessings. But then you get to thinking about, what about those other people? What about those people who don't treat us nice? Do I need to pray for them? It is more difficult for me. I don't know about you, but it's a lot more difficult for me to pray for people who mistreat me. But listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. What do you pray for them? You pray that they may see the light. They may understand the truth. You see, in the country in which we live today, there are many people who hate the Lord's church. There are many people in this country who are leading us in a wrong direction. We need to be praying for them. And we need to be praying that they will learn and see the truth and be obedient to God and His will. But now, as Paul looks at the Philippians, what does he pray for them? I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I want you to look with me at verses 9 through 11 because this is the context in which Paul states this. He says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, or the day of Christ, being filled with all the fruits of righteousness which are in Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. I'm just going to simply try to paint a picture here for you in very few words. He prays for them to love like they're doing. They need to learn to love one another. They need to continue to love one another. He also is concerned about their knowledge and discernment. What would you desire for the congregation as a whole here? I know one of the things that I pray for is that our knowledge of God and His will will increase to where we have great Bible students. People who can open up their Bibles and when you ask a Bible question can give you a Bible answer. Discernment. It's very easy sometimes to talk about theory, but then when you have put people in a situation where they have to make a decision, if you'll let me borrow for just a moment an illustration, 
I watched quite a bit of football yesterday, and I watched quarterbacks, and they'd come up to the line, and they'd look out on the other side, and they'd try to discern what kind of defense was prepared for them. They can sit and they can watch films all day long, and the coaches can tell them, this is what you will do when you see this, but they have to be able to discern quickly the situation they're in and react to it. Do you know, spiritually speaking, that's exactly what God wants for us? So that here I am, I'm confronted with a temptation. How do I respond to that temptation? God's Word is that guide. It's that which shows us the right pathway to follow. Paul says, I'm praying that you love one another. I'm praying for your knowledge. And I'm praying you'll be able to discern so that you can approve the things that are excellent. You will make the right choices, the good choices. And be sincere and without offense. It comes the day of judgment. We want to be able to stand there not as a spotted, dirty group of people, but one as the book of Ephesians describes, not having spot or blemish or any such things because we will be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Our lives will be productive. That's what Paul was praying for for them. Now let me take you to the third aspect of this passage. That's found in verses 5 and 6. And there Paul says, For your fellowship... In the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice this phrase, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What does the word fellowship mean? We use the word fellowship today. We're going to say, well, we're going to have a fellowship meal. Most of us think a fellowship is a time to get together and eat. But in the Bible, the word fellowship means a partnership where we jointly participate with one another. The root word of it is found in a number of passages, but let me just give you a couple of them. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. The word partners there indicates that they are not only doing the same job fishing, but they're working together. They have a boat together. They're in business together. That's what this word fellowship means. We're in it together. You go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 23. Paul says, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. We understand that the Lord's church is a partnership. It's as if we are all in this together. We're jointly participating. It's just like this morning in our worship. We sing together. We pray together. We partook of the Lord's Supper together. Hopefully we are studying together at this time. 
that there's more to it than just that. Their partnership was in the financial support of Paul's work. He said from the very first day, when you go to chapter 4, I want you to look at verses 15 and 16. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared, same words, fellowship there, with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again into my necessities. Paul is saying that when I left Macedonia, when I left Philippi, everywhere I went, you helped take care of me. When I went to Thessalonica, you sent once to me. You sent second time to me taking care of my necessities. Now I do want to point out something here. This is sometimes is a good teaching moment. We have a number of churches that have begun to be known or have for years been known by the phrase they're anti. That is, they don't believe certain things. And one of the things they don't believe is that two churches can cooperate together with one another that these churches can do a job together. I want you to notice that phrase where he says, giving and receiving. We can understand the Philippians giving to Paul, but what does he mean by receiving? He said, no church did that, but you only. And yet, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 8 says, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them that I might minister to you. What you understand is the church at Philippi not only gave Paul money, but they received money for Paul. That's what the idea of giving and receiving means. They enjoyed a special relationship with Paul as what we would call today a sponsoring congregation. One that received money from others and then sent that to the Apostle Paul. And when we do that, we're working together. Listen as John writes, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We, therefore, ought to receive such that we may become, notice now, fellow workers for the truth. I hope the congregation understands here that when you placed your money in that plate just a few minutes ago, and that money was contributed and it goes into the treasury of the Lord here, and that money is sent to a missionary to be able to preach the gospel in difficult places, we are fellow workers with them. We participate with them. Every soul that is converted, every sermon that is preached, because we help support that, we are fellow workers with the truth. 
And according to verse 6, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Paul says, I am confident that God will complete this work. Not only did they share in these financial things, but they shared in the sufferings of Paul as well. In chapter 3, verse 10, that you may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Chapter 4, verse 14, nevertheless you have done well that you have shared in my distress. Now very quickly, verses 7 and 8, and I think you need to see the resolve that Paul had to continue his work. Just as it is right for me to think of this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Let me break that down for just a little bit here. Paul talks about his chains, his defense, and his confirmation of the gospel. He was not going to let the chains stop him. You do remember, as we discussed last week, Paul is in a Roman jail. He's in prison. He has chains on him. But let him speak. 2 Timothy 2.9, For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change. But the word of God is not chained. Paul said they can put chains around my wrist, but that doesn't stop the word of God. You know what can happen? And it may. Our government may say that no longer can we publicly declare the Word of God. That will not stop it. History has seen people killed for their faith, but never able to stop the Word of God. In Philippians 1, 13 and 14, Paul says, So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They see Paul's boldness. You chain me, that's all right. I'll preach the gospel. Even the whole palace guard, those guards who were standing around him, knew that Paul was in those chains because of his faith. And they heard him. Then he speaks about defending the gospel. Several of you have heard of apologetics press. The original word for defense here is the word apologia, from which we get our word apologetics. It's not as if we are apologizing because we believe in the gospel. It means a reasoned defense. And Paul would say in chapter 1, verse 17, he says, But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, 
I will stand and I will defend it with truth and reason. As Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, being ready always to give a defense to everyone that asks the reason of hope that is within you, yet with meekness and fear. Be the kind of people who are able to stand up and say, I am willing to answer why I believe what I believe. A reason defense. And then Paul comes along and he talks about the confirmation of the gospel. In Hebrews 2 and verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed unto us, by those who heard him. I believe that there is an element within this of the miraculous gifts because of Mark chapter 16 and verse 20. He says there, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Now, when I finish studying a passage, I always try to ask myself some questions. In doing that, I think it's appropriate to ask the questions of the congregation as well. Number one, do I remember the church in my prayers? Remember us as a body, as a congregation of people. Do I remember the members as I pray and as I recognize some are going through difficult times, some need our prayers. Am I partnering with the church and seeing that the gospel is carried into all the world? Do I have a love for the Lord and for the brethren like I ought to have? I ask, are you enjoying the fellowship of the believers right now? You know, it's very possible that there are those of our number here who are not enjoying this fellowship. You're not participating. And that's what the word fellowship means. If you are not a part of the Lord's body and working and doing what you ought to, you're on the wrong, in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. It may be the, that you're not there because you're not a Christian. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, we sing a song of invitation. And it's not just a tradition. It is an encouragement. An encouragement for that person who's not yet a Christian to come forward, confess their faith, and be baptized. It is an encouragement for the Christian who's let his faith slip and he's really left the fellowship to come back and to be faithful to the Lord. If that's who you are and what you need to do, would you come as we stand and sing?